Hey guys, this is Doug Aldrich, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott here, Richie, and now we are back to give you another dose of that which we call Focus on Metal. And, you know, you tell me that you got this interview, and you don't tell me who it is. No. Nope. And, and I go up, and, and I'm like, okay, I just I guess grab it and, and bring it down. And I'm like, okay, well, it's Doug, and it's great. It's always great to talk to Doug. Doug's kind of become like a friend of the show now. But then it's it's like, holy shit, he's doing a whole career retrospective with him. Like, what the hell? <laughs> it just uh, kind of blew my mind a little bit. Well, we had Doug on for the first Revolution Saints album. Yep. And uh, I asked him. I think it was in the end of the interview. Mm. Uh, that was the second time we had him on. Yeah. Because we, we had, had him Burning on for Rain. the Dio project. Bur- no, Burning Rain. Burning Rain. Yeah. Was it Burning Epic Rain? Epic Obsession. Yeah, it was Burning Rain was the first time. So I asked Doug, would he do a, a, you know, a longer chat with us to go through his career? Mm. Because I love doing those chats, and we've done a few of them. We haven't done one in a while. Yeah. And um, that was two years ago. (laughs) Was it two years ago? When the Revolution Saints record came out, it was two years ago. So. Didn't we talk to him for Dead Daisies, too? No, that was John Karabi. We didn't talk to Doug, too? I don't think so. I think we did. Maybe, but it was a long time ago. We talked to Doug a lot. Yeah, it was a long (laughs) time ago. Oh, actually, you're right. It was the Dead Daisies. Yeah, okay. But. Before that, I think we had him on for Revolution Saints. Yeah. And so I got him, we had him back on. Yeah, it was Dead Daisies, we had him back on. And you get half hour slots. Yeah. Right. And these guys, when they're doing press, they do a lot. So if they're going to do a career chat, it kind of has to be done outside the loop. Yep. And I tried to get it up and running. And it didn't really go anywhere. And I every so often, I'd ask the person who I was supposed to ask. Yeah. Could I get Doug on, on and do a career chat with him that? Yeah. And once or twice I get a response back. He's mad busy. And in fairness, he is. He is <laughs> right. He's dead daisies. You know, he's doing raiding the rock fault. He was doing revolution saints and God knows what else he was doing. And he has a family too. Right. You know, so if he's going to give me some time, it's going to be time outside of the music. Sure. The, the, the normal stuff. Yeah. And um, I thought it was dead in the water. I honestly did. And every, every so often I get a reply, he'd love to do it. He's mad busy. He'd love, you know, mm-hmm. he does want to do it. And yeah. I'm like, so I got offered uh, Dean yep. a, a while back. And I took Dean up because we didn't have Dean the last time. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got offered from a different PR person. I got offered Doug. And... I asked in my email, could I get Doug on? And that I explained in the email to the PR person that he wants to do a career chat with me. Um, I told him the person I was going through and that I'd love to kill two birds with one stone. Sure. I could do Revolution Saints and I could do the career chat and get it done. And I got an email back saying, Doug is going to call you at such a time. Uh, And I'm like, great. So that morning, anyway, I'm thinking to myself, I have all the career stuff down and set in stone. I've already talked to Dean about the album. Yeah. Um, I better make sure that it is a career chat. Yeah. So I had half an hour, right? I got an email back (laughs) half an hour and I went, oh, shit. No, 
I would have done, like I was doing it anyway, right? Right. So I'm waiting, the phone doesn't go. And then I'm waiting another while and the phone doesn't go. And I'm back in work at this stage. Yeah. And next thing my phone goes, hi, it's, it's Doug Aldrich. I'm sorry, but, you know, uh, something happened on his end that there was no confirmation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he couldn't do it. Could You know, he wanted to reschedule. So I, I said, right, he's on the phone now. I said, is there any chance, you know, we can do that career chat if we can get it done that I'd, I'm probably going to need you know, probably 45 minutes instead of half yeah. an hour. Yeah. Right. And he said, yeah, contact the PR person. If we can make it happen, I'd love to do it. Right. Yeah. So I contacted the PR person. They gave me a time and I said, would that happen to be the last interview he's doing? Right. right. And uh, she said, yes. So I said, uh, fantastic. I said, uh, and she said, you can go over. Nice. Right? So I, yeah. I sent Doug a text and he knew yeah. what we were going to do. Yeah. So 45 minutes turned into nearly an hour and a half. And uh, he was amazing. He has been my number one get to do a career chat for years. Yeah. Because of the people. He's not because of who he is. Yeah. What he's like as a person. We've spoken to him. And who he's played with. Yeah. You think of like Coverdale, Glenn Hughes, Ronnie James. Dio, oh, yeah. Like amazing, amazing yeah. musicians. Oh, yeah. And yeah. He, he's, not a, he's played with them all. And I'm sure he had some great stories. And we went through all of it. Yeah. And he was amazing to talk to. Yeah, I mean, you could have, it, you know, he's, with the people that he's played with, and, and I hope when people listen to this, they'll realize, I didn't realize he played with them. I didn't realize he played with them. Is, is that it, you could easily do three, four hours, and the guy would probably have just story after story after story after story. Well, I had to go back to work. Yeah. I, I, I deliberately organized my lunch break. For 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. And I'm, I'm an hour and 25 minutes on the phone or whatever it was. <laughs> I'm going to get fired. Right. And um, which is why in the end, I didn't really go into the dead daisies that much with him because uh, it's pretty recent. He's done a lot of press on it. It's out there. If you you know, we had Karabi on and we had him on for yep. Make Some Noise. So it, we, we've interviewed him about it. And I think a lot of people wanted to learn about, a lot of people like lying. Yep. And I got a lot in, I got very heavy into Lion yeah, and, yeah. you know, Hurricane, House of Lords, all that stuff. Yeah. We talk, and of course I put, I put it up on Facebook already that I'd spoken to Doug and of course someone asked me about some project he'd done with Matt Kramer from Saigon Kick. I was unaware he'd done anything, but <laughs> Doug did say in the interview that there was a lot. Yeah. And then he hinted at that he did, you know, he was doing a lot of session work as well. So yeah. I couldn't touch on everything. I tried. Oh, yeah. I really did try, and, and Doug was great, and we talked about his Kiss audition as well, which, uh-huh. which was good, you know. But, uh, wow, like, t- for him to go out of his way and give me that amount of time, yeah, like, I, I couldn't be more thankful to Doug for doing it. I, I know it's taken a long time to do, and but he's he really is an awesome, awesome yeah. guy. And, I mean, as it is, there's, there's so much to Doug's career, and even though you, you only had a small amount of time, it's actually enough content that, we're actually going to have to split this into two episodes. Yeah. Because there is that much stuff, which is great. I mean, I'm, I'm glad he gave, gave you the time. And, uh, you know, 
wish I was able to talk to him as well on there. But well, you uh, would we would have been four hours. You would have gone yeah, into probably, guitars with him. Probably I, I couldn't. Yeah, I've been Gold Top City. Oh yeah, I know. But uh, but you did a great job, and and I think you did a pretty balanced as as much as you could. You know, without taking away too much of his time. So I think I think nice job. Well, I went through it like I did with Red Beach. We did it in chronological order. Yeah, we did. His, when I said his whole career, I touched on his whole career. In oh yeah, even right, right, right to the beginning of his, like, I did. you know, musical genesis. Oh, yes, I had to. Like, it's a, it's a career chat. Like, you know, I wouldn't be doing the audience any favors if I just went up to. Oh yeah, let's talk about White Snake. Oh, you know, what happened gonna, there? You're or, not going to just go right up to the. Let's just talk about the Kiss audition and not that's it. No, <laughs> no, I wanted to know about him as a, a guitar player when he was growing up. Like, what drove him, and you know, but he had some. Yeah, he had some good stories. He had. He, you know, we talked about Andy Johns. He definitely perked up when I mentioned Andy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But um, who wouldn't? I mean, oh, yeah. guys, you know, he's legendary. But, um, yeah, just, you know, that that's the box ticked off now for the, the number one guy I wanted to get on to do a career chat with. There's others out there, okay, and they're not that easy to set up these career chats anymore. And this one took a long time. But I think, boy, when you, when you get to hear what Doug has to say, it, it's well worth it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, like I said, he's just for one thing, he's he's a real he's a real genuine guy, and and I I got to make sure that I express this to, to everybody. He's one of these people that he's like one of the nicest people in the industry. He always yeah. asks me, "How's your family? But How's your he kids?" Is, he is he is absolutely genuine, and you know, of course, you know, you haven't heard any of the edit that I've done on this at all. No, none. But you know, a lot of a lot of you guys talk a little bit in the beginning and stuff, but. You know, that's more that's more the genuine Doug kind of not for air, just kind of talking, um, you know, basically like friends. And so, yeah, like you said, he talks a lot about the family and you talk about yours and and that's stuff that, you know, people really don't need to hear. Uh, but, you know, every time he talks to us, he's always he remembers, you know, stuff from last time. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it isn't just like paying lip service. He's like a like a really genuine Nice guy. And he's a fan. He's a music fan. Yeah. He still loves to play. Absolutely. Loves to get out there. Yep. And um, I'm glad he's in the Dead Daisies now. I think he's added something to that band. I think yeah. that, you know, the, the live album this year was really, really good. I think Make Some Noise was excellent. Yeah. Um, the Revolution Saints record, Light in the Dark, I think is better than the debut. Um, it's definitely got more of their stamp on it. Uh-huh. And uh, Dean... Well, it's kind of a Dean, different intent now too, right? I mean, the first one was really... And you touch on this with Doug. The first one was really uh, like a Dean solo vehicle yeah. that turned into a band. Yeah. But this one is started right from the ground as writing as a band as opposed to a solo vehicle. So, yeah, you're going to be a little bit different. Yeah. And, of course, Doug wants to get out there. He wants, you know, hopefully to do more Burning Rain. Yeah. So his passion for music is still the same as it always been. Yeah. It's, like I said, he, he, does, uh, he does an amazing job. Super nice guy. And... Uh, Always, always is uh, is really free with his time. Has he done many career chats before? I don't. I don't, I don't think, think so. Think so. No, I mean, you mentioned Doug to a lot of people, and I I mentioned Doug to a lot of people because I'm a I'm a big fan of Doug. I really like his playing, and you know, we kind of come from the same school of of playing influences and stuff. So I, you know, and kind of like the same kind of guitars and things. And I mentioned this, you know, Doug to even other players, and they're like, who? And it's amazing that that more people don't know about him, and, and I think that that's he doesn't does, doesn't do a lot of these kind of retrospectives and things like that. He just gets small bits of press for a project that he does, and he kind of just gets moves on. I think. I think a lot of the interviews they'll touch on certain things in the past that they won't actually 
do what I did here yeah. and went through everything in order. Or you have the kind of, you know, you got the guy that goes, oh, yeah, he was the guy that was in Whitesnake. And then you'd say, oh, yeah, but he, you know, he was in Dio. What? Or, you know, you got, oh, yeah, that was the guy that, you know, he played that, he's on that DVD for Dio. He just filled in once. Um, well, no, he's on a whole other album, too. Like, what? I think that he's just kind of this guy that he's this amazing player, but he's not, um, he's not the hey, look at me player. He's the guy that lends the solo. And you kind of get an, a sense of this when you listen to him talk. He, he puts the solo in that he feels is the right thing for the song, not for Doug. I think that probably speaks a lot to his relationship with, with Andy Johns, too, which is that Andy tries to get the solo for the song, not the solo to make the guy stand out. You know, so it, it's kind of that, that same thing, right, of, of him uh, you know, working with uh, a lot of other big bands and, and the same thing with bigger guitar players. And, and it's always serving the song and not the hey, look at me. And that probably, in a way, is a little bit of a disservice to Doug as far as being a known entity is because he doesn't do that. But yeah. he's a fantastic player. Well, he's an amazing player. And um, anyone out there, if I missed something, tough <laughs> I, I, I can't do everything when i'm talking to a guy like this when he says in the beginning there's been a lot i cover i covered a lot i think yeah. i covered it as best i could i think and, you did and i hope i hope you all enjoy it because i had an absolute ball talking to dog yeah and if i hadn't have been able to, if i hadn't got, had to go back to work i probably <laughs> would have talked for a little bit longer with him and yeah but i didn't want to you know, I said in up front I didn't want to spend two hours with him. Sure. I probably fucking could have, you oh, know. Yeah. yeah. But um you know what can I say? Like I've he's been, he's on a lot of albums that I love. Like yeah. I've got the Hurricane album, I've got the House of Lords album, yeah. Lion albums and like Jesus White Snake Dio, like fucking hell. Everything, yeah. You know, just an amazing player. All right, well we got a lot of ground to cover with Doug, so uh I think I'm gonna get this thing rolling. How you doing? Richie, how are you, man? I'm good, I'm good. So I'm gonna go through your whole career here. I'm gonna touch okay. on I'm gonna to touch on everything. Right, as okay, much, cool. as best I can. So Well there's there's a lot. So I know, gonna... I know. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be like two hours or anything like that, so don't worry about it. Um I'm not, I'm no, so happy to talk to you. Yeah, so we I'll get into it. Um did you come from a, a musical family in the beginning? Um, no. Not at all. My parents didn't have a record player or we didn't have, I don't even think we had a stereo system really. I think we had, we had the odd radio in the house. That was it. Okay. And like, was and, it, so, was it something on the radio then that you heard that made you want to want, get into music or your friends maybe had a, a music collection? Well, it, it definitely was, I was listening to the radio and I would listen and I definitely liked the rock, rock years, you know, more rock, Stuff than the pop stuff, but um, the stuff that, that would that was on um, the rock stations was stuff like Hendrix and and um, Deep Purple and Zeppelin and stuff like that. And those were the bands I initially was really excited about. But my older sister later did. I I want when you said musical family, usually you're talking about did anybody play? And nobody in my family played anything except my younger sister had a guitar and she um she wasn't really into it but it was there and on one one summer i just decided to pick it up and see like it was a book that was with it 
and I decided to, to check it out, and I really liked it. It was just a classical nylon string guitar. And my other sister had, um, she did have a record collection that I would once in a while sneak in and check out some records. And one of the records I really loved was a Jeff Beck record called Blow by Blow. Mm-hmm. That was that was the first time I really heard Jeff Beck, because you wouldn't hear him on the radio, per se, unless it was Yardbirds or something. But but I loved the sound, that sound, and it was really cool. And eventually, you know, um, I got out of electric guitar and learned in the absolutely wrong way how to play it. I learned how to play Smoke on the Water. <laughs> and the feeling of actually just the riff of Smoke on the Water. When you're a kid playing guitar, you you you, you could take three chords like that and play them for six hours. You could you could play for you know two or three hours, and then your mom would call in and say it's lunchtime, and you go up and eat lunch and go back and jam on those three chords for another three hours. Mm-hmm. It's, it's insane how how great it it feels when you're learning like that. Yeah, and somebody somebody teaches you something new, you're just like in awe. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So, what age were you when you got your first lessons on guitar? I I got I guess it was about eleven when I had been eleven or twelve. I had been playing for a little while and knew a couple things, and I went to the my I asked to get lessons, but the teacher wasn't. We didn't click. It was it wasn't. He didn't like my guitar. He kind of made some comments about. I used to carry. I had a towel inside of a box that my guitar came in. So I put a towel in that was the padding, and I carried it around in the box. And and he was like, "Why don't you get a case for that thing?" And I said, "Well, this is my case." <laughs> and, and then and then he didn't like the guitar. He played it, and he's like, "This thing's really not good," which it wasn't. But that's all I had. Yeah. I don't know, maybe he wanted me to buy a new guitar from him or something, but, and then he, he pretty much was, he, he was just wanting to show me songs and stuff, and I, I just, it was songs that he knew, and that, not necessarily ones that I wanted to learn. Anyway, so, um, it just, you know, I did, I went three or four times and I lost interest in, in that guy, and I just started, I was self-taught after that. Wow, and can you tell me about a couple of your first bands? Like were they were they cover bands? Well, yeah. I mean, when I when I was a kid, my first band was called Purple Haze, obviously because we we heard the Jimi Hendrix song and decided that no one would ever think of calling the band Purple Haze. So <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were the only Purple Haze in the world. But we, you know, we were uh, eleven or twelve, and then um, I was in the next band I was in was in just out of middle school. It was, Band called Black Widow, and that was um, was a female singer, and we that, that was covers, and that was a proper. You know, we played some gigs and stuff. We played at a church. Was the last gig I remember that we played, and um, some friends from school came that I had met, and they they came and they said, you know, that band sucks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we like you. We we think you're pretty good. I don't know if they said. Because I said that because I was their friend or whatever, but they go, this band sucks. We should jam together. So that was the last band I was in when I was a kid, when I was a proper kid. And um, we, I went into the basement world of learning songs and just trying to perfect playing. And I was mostly, I really wasn't a lead player. I was mostly playing rhythm, and we'd learn Zeppelin and Deep Purple and Sabbath and whatever. But I couldn't, 
I'd struggle with the solos, you know. It was, I just was just learning and I didn't, my bending was not good and, you know, everything. But as time went on, spending a lot of time in the basement jamming on weekends, I used to go to my friend's house and they had, their father was a real, like he made them do their chores every weekend and they had to do them together as a family. I'd go, and my mom would drop me off with my aunt and my guitar and I, they still had chores there. I'm like, come on. So I, I'd join in and help them finish the chores so we could get to playing, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then later I, I was in, the next band I was in was when I moved to Los Angeles is when I first started playing clubs and it was a band called Fighter with some guys and we played half originals, half, um, half covers. Yeah. And we were playing our gig, our main gig. We did a bunch of gigs in Orange County, California and some, um, some other places, but the main gig was, uh, Gazzari's on Sunset Strip in 82. I guess okay. 81 or 81 or end of 81 or beginning of 82 is when I started playing live for the first time for real in the clubs and stuff. And, and actually, you know, being in a position to make a little, a couple dollars. Yeah. And, uh, and then the, 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 the last non recording band that I was in was called Mansfield. And that was with those same kids from school that from Philadelphia that moved out to Los Angeles. And we made a band called Mansfield so we were all from kind of from Philadelphia transplanted and we'd play more places, more clubs. And, and then, uh, eventually I got the offer to join Lion. So that was the first recording then. about when did when exactly did you audition for kiss what year do you remember that was 82 it was i was doing gigs with fighter and because we we'd play any chance we could at, and anywhere really and i was playing gazaris 
And um, the girlfriend of Eric Carr came and said that, and I didn't know, I didn't believe her actually that she was his girlfriend, but um, she said they were looking for a guitar player and that she thought I, I should audition and she was going to tell her boyfriend about me. And she was really nice, but I just didn't believe it. But a couple weeks later, we played again and she brought him. And I, I didn't have a phone at, at this point. I mean, I was in Los Angeles for about six months before I, everything was shut off. My phone was gone. The, you know, I only, only thing I did have was power uh-huh. and, um, and, and gas on the, but no, I didn't have a phone and didn't have cable or there was nothing, you know. So she, she came and showed up and brought him. And I was like, whoa, that's really him. And I, it took me a minute. I had to look at his face and kind of imagine, is that really Eric Carr? And it, of course it was. And I was, I was just like, cause people hadn't seen him without their makeup at that point. Yeah. They were still, they were still not allowed to show. And he said, he watched the show and he said, I really like your playing. And, you know, why don't you, um, can I get your number? And I, at this time I was working at a music shop and I gave him the number at the shop. And so he called me and said, come down and meet the guys one day. And that was it. But, um, yeah, I was 82. So that's your question. What did you play with the Kiss guys when you auditioned? We, we went in the studio, we went in the studio and he, I was just 18 at, at that time. And he, um, he could tell I was, he, you know, he called me at the shop, music shop and said, okay, today's the day. I want you to bring your guitar and come down to the record plant. So I went down there and he could tell I was, I was a little bit nervous. So, he took me next door to this bar and it's the first time I ever had a shot of liquor. <laughs> he gave me a shot. Of, I forget what we drank, but it was a shot and I felt it immediately. And then we went in and I met Gene and, and Paul and they were singing some backgrounds in there and they were in the studio without their makeup on. I was, well, this is amazing to meet these guys and see what they look like. And, um, they put on some tracks for me to play to that were, they were working on creatures of the night. And we, we just, I played some, I learned a couple of the riffs, the rhythm riffs, just to show them that I could play that. And then they had me solo on some of the stuff, like they recorded it or whatever. And I, I never, I'll never forget, this is a funny story, when I was a kid, because I didn't know what I was doing, I just played. And Gene said, do you ever play the major scale? And I said, what is that? And he, he he told me, Do Re Mi Fa So I go, Yeah, yeah, I know that. So I started playing some major licks. I I used to think of it as like the way Michael Schenker would blend major and minor pentatonic. Mm-hmm. And um so I started doing that and he, he's cool. He was like, Okay, cool. So he wrote down um so it was creatures of the night stuff. We jammed we we recorded or we were the testing guitar players on and then he, they, they would have people come down and jam with them. So he wrote down a few songs to learn and, and his number. And we, I, he said, come, can you come on Monday or whatever? And, uh, and we can play together. And I said, yeah. So I went and learned the songs and we, we played. And it was the first time I'd ever played through, you know, multiple marshals. And it was just in a huge, it was like an airport hangar where we it was set up. It was really cool. Yeah, we played. We played that time. And we played one more time, and then they they basically said, you know, thank you. You're really, you know, you're 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 really good, and uh, we're, we're, you're definitely, you know, too young. And 
I think, you know, they were, I think I I could play certain things okay, and they liked that part of it, but I was not very well-rounded. Yeah. So that got me serious, really serious about playing and practicing and learning. Yeah. Did did they say anything, Doug, about your hair color when you went in? Because you had blonde hair, and, of course, they all had dark hair. Well, actually, at that time, my hair was a little darker. It was more its natural color, but they they didn't even get that far. Okay. We didn't talk about we didn't talk about what my makeup would be. <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious because um, no, I, they, they auditioned a lot of people, and I don't know. I mean, it seems people always ask me about that, um, and it's I I don't really try to I don't go around telling people, hey, you know, I auditioned for Kiss, anything like that. I I always I'll actually forget about it until somebody brings it up. Yeah. But but uh it was I just know that for me as a kid I it was it made me get really serious about learning music. Yeah. Now t- tell me about the formation of Lion. Um who did you know in the band beforehand or did you know any of them at all? I I didn't know any of them um at the beginning because they were tried to get a band together and they were looking for the right members and um so they hadn't really done any gigs or anything, but um, I got a call from a drummer who had been in Steeler with Ingve, a guy called Mark Edwards, and he said, um, hey, I'm calling you from a payphone down here in Hollywood, and um, I've got this amazing singer from the UK, a guy called Cal Swan, and he's like the next David Coverdale, and, and I didn't even know who David Coverdale was at that point. I, this was 85 or 84, 85, I think. And, um, I, of course I knew some songs from Whitesnake, but I didn't know who, I didn't know any of their names or anything. So I go, oh, okay. He says, you really, we should meet. We're making a new band. It's called Lion. And you, you think you should be the guitar player. And I thought that was pretty cool. Cause he had worked with Ingve and Ingve had gone off and, and done, um, Alcatraz. So we, we met up and we hit it off and then we needed a bass player. I said, why don't we get my bass player, the same guy that I had met in school that back the years before. Um, so I got a guy from Mansfield, Jerry Best. Hey, this is Jerry Best and you're listening to Focus on Metal. To be on, on bass and to, the four of us started Lion proper and, and then it was, it was a year. The end of '84, beginning of '85, because I know we were playing live in 1985 as well. So, yeah, no, I'm a I'm a massive fan of that debut album, Dangerous Attraction. I I, Thanks, I, lo- I love um I love it. It's it's hard rock, but it's got this real heavy guitar sound on it, and like it's just an amazing record. It uh, that was uh, um the that, this is a, this is the story behind what about Lion is in a, in a nutshell and a quick story we because we had a singer from the uk who had kind of been in a band from that was part of the british new wave of heavy metal that he was cal had been in um a band called titan
Angel Witch and Tigers of Pantang and all these British bands, but he wanted to. He came to L.A. to work with Mark and to, to you know, try and get a deal and stuff. So, our, he turned. He's the one that turned me on to the early White Snake. He had all the records. So then I found out who David Coverdale was, and and John Sykes and Bernie Marsden, and he also was really into Thin Lizzy, which I like Thin Lizzy too. But I didn't think about using that as an influence but we did that's what we that's what we we tried we were trying to sound like white snake and and thin lizzy and static status quo and some of these bands that weren't so popular especially in the mid 80s in hollywood they weren't popular yet mm -hmm. and um so i guess slide in was you know on the radio and stuff but still hadn't broken as big as they would white snake but but so Cal was really adamant. He goes, we, you know, we, we didn't want to be a glam band. He, he says, I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to wear spandex. I don't want to sound like this. You know, um, we did have the big hair and all that stuff, but it was our sound that would kind of set us apart. And for that reason, we never got a real good record deal offer, but we did get a deal offered finally on Scotty Brothers, which was a subsidiary of Epic. And we made that dangerous attraction record. And, I was really into, you know, some heavier stuff. I was into Sabbath and um, some, you know, Ozzy Osbourne with Randy Rose and Van Halen and, you know, bands that had a little bit heavier guitar sound. So I was kind of going for that as a blend to the other stuff that we were kind of some of the songs that we were doing, bluesy stuff with a heavier guitar sound. So we made that record. And, but prior to that, our attorney quit because he said, if you sign this record deal, you're not going to make any money, so you can't pay me, so I'm going to have to quit if you sign it. But we thought, hey, let's, we've got these songs, let's make this record, you know, let's, let's, let's go for it, it'll work itself out. And it, it, unfortunately, we found out that the record company was, had no intentions of putting us on the road, that we, the only breaks we got were that Epic liked us, so they made a video for us, and it got some good airplane and stuff.
And in Japan, we were on a, a different label. Uh, they licensed it to a label called Pony Canyon in Japan. And Pony Canyon treated us like a new band. Just They put us out there, and they brought us over to tour. Actually, they brought us over to do one show. And we had take, it sold out. We took off in Japan. We we couldn't get anything happening in the U.S. because we had no tour, no tour support. We got some offers, but we had no money. So the, we decided let's let's um, you try and get, get off the deal. And it, somehow we did get off the deal, but nobody was, would touch us still. So we made a, a second record with some kind of just thrown together songs just to show that we were still out there and it just never happened. Eventually Mark got hurt in a motorcycle accident and we broke up. And and it was during that time when we were kind of in limbo trying to show that we could do a follow up to the dangerous attraction and that we could do well is when I started getting offers from other bands, one of them being Dio. Yeah. Well back that far Dio was looking for for you. He was looking for a guitar player in nineteen ninety and um he had done the Dream Evil record with Craig, and they were working on it. They were going to work on a new record, which would turn out to be Lock Up the Wolves. And I just I hung out with him. We played. He offered me the gig, and was really nice, really nice about everything. And but I wasn't ready to leave my my bros. I I you know I felt obligated. I felt not obligated. I felt loyalty to my band. I wanted my band to to make it. I didn't want to just join a band, you know, that was already together yet. I was really hoping Lion, because it was my first real, you know, thing, so. Yeah. But it didn't, it did. Right after that, I passed on a couple of offers, and then Lion ended up breaking up, so that led me to starting to look at other offers that I got that were coming in, and um, now it's no, it's no, yeah, it's no secret now that one of the we had I spoke to Jerry Best a few years ago, and he said one of the main problems with Lion was was the labels. Um, yeah. Did you want after the demise of Lion? Did you really want to get to know the business side of music a lot more, so that you'd know the next time you'd be able to like see the pointers that okay, maybe this might be going the wrong way, or or did you just no 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 I, I, I was I, I was just man I mean you know I was twenty four twenty in my early 20s at that time but really as a business person I was like a baby you know I have no idea I still don't have any idea how the business really works I have an attorney that takes care of it and then people like that that, that, I, I, that I pay them so I don't because I'd never I just don't understand a lot of this a lot of this business stuff yeah I, I still don't but I did understand when the guy said if you sign it I'm going to have to quit because you're not going to make any money. And I and I had faith that we would be able to work through that. And it, I did realize that it didn't work out. So you had to get with a label. Well, you had to have management that could get you with a label that was going to take care of you. I knew that. Okay. So was was the next band, was Hurricane first or was the House of Lords record first? It, it was Hurricane because we, we had the same managers as Lion. And so when Mark... Got, he got hurt in a motorcycle accident and was actually paralyzed. He broke his neck and we couldn't do anything for him because we had no money and he needed like serious care. So his, his parents got him airlift. They got him a flight, a, a private flight to get him back to Texas where he could re be rehabilitated. And, um, and fortunately when they 
straightened his neck out and put him on the halo for a while, he started to get get some feeling back in his in his limbs and stuff. And then eventually, now he, although he has a limp, he he can walk. So okay. he's he. But but yeah, so we broke up and we had the same managers as Hurricane, and they they immediately said, hey, you want to work on a record with us? And they were going to pay me a weekly wage, which was which was pretty good for that time. And and um, what I didn't understand was that the wage was based off of a publishing deal that would mean that I really wouldn't make any publishing money for songwriting. So I was just basically taking an advance. Yeah. So it was really my my money that I had already made. They were paying. <laughs> so I learned I learned all this stuff. I always learned it after the fact. It wasn't. It wasn't a bad thing. It was just that's how that that's how the band needed to, you know, pay itself. And they, so we we made a record called "Slave to the Thrill" during that period. And I think it's a really great record too. I just I had a hard time making it because I was we were working with a producer who I didn't. He and I just butted heads all the time. And I, in hindsight, I know what he was trying to do was right, but I was just stubborn. You know, I just I wanted a certain sound the way I wanted it, and I, just, I really didn't have any interest in in doing some of the things that he wanted me to do. Was trying some of the sounds he wanted me to try. But it's all part of the process of, of people's background, and that's part of my background. Is that I was, I was a, a numbskull kid that just wanted to play heavy guitar, and you know, it took me being in situations like that where I actually learned something. <laughs> yeah, and of course that that that's Michael James Jackson. Um, that's did, right. That's did right. you actually say to him when you were doing the album that you could have been playing Creatures of the Night with Kiss? No, I didn't. You didn't. I, 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 <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I know he worked with Kiss either before or after, but I didn't really. T- 
I didn't talk about, I mean, like I told you, uh, that, that kiss thing, I, I never really, I never really talk about that thing too much, you know? Yeah. So I just didn't, didn't think, didn't really, we were talking about guitar tones. That's what he and I would butt heads on because I wanted it to be heavy and he wanted it to be more accessible for radio. Yeah. And so we had to find a middle ground somewhere, which we did eventually. And I don't know if, if it made either one of us perfectly happy because I wasn't a thousand percent happy with it. And I, he probably wasn't either, but I, there was one day where it was funny. He, he was he and I would butt heads, but one day he was really nice to me, and I was like, "What's wrong with this guy?" Something, <laughs> up. And he goes, "Hey Doug, what, what do you think about you and I going and having dinner tonight?" I go, "Sure, all right, that sounds good." I'm thinking, "What's up? Why is he being so nice?" And we get there, and he, and he goes, "Listen, I got to tell you something. Um, one of your guitar solos got erased." And I was like, "Oh, really?" He goes, "Yep. It was we were cleaning tracks because then." At that time, you know, we were doing a 24-track recording, and you really only had 23 tracks. Really, tw yeah, 22 tracks, really, because you'd print this time code on track 23, and then 24 was always the edge of the tape and would have a little bit of the bleed over from 23, so it was never really a great track to use. So you really had 22 tracks, and we were running out of tracks, I guess, and they were trying to clean some 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 stuff off of the solo track, and it happened that the engineer put it in record and cleaned the the scratch stuff or whatever, but he kept it rolling and it took out half of my guitar solo. And I didn't remember, you know, what I played, but I w I didn't get upset. I just like, you know, just okay. Well, I'll try and see if I can learn it again and I did or, or not learn it again but try I didn't remember what I played it was kind of one of those off the cuff types of things but what I did plan the record turned out pretty good I think it was a song called let it uh let it slide let it, sli let it slide yeah I yeah think that was it yeah now how did you end up playing on the Sahara album with House of Lords what was the who's the connection there well so basically Hurricane got done recording we were waiting for the record to come out. We had shot a couple of videos. Like, the record company spent a bunch of money to do two videos. And everything was in the can, waiting to be released. And I was just... At that time, I was teaching guitar for money. And um, I had a lot of kids every week, and I was doing pretty good. But um, I got called by Greg Jafria to play on some some demos for House of because their guitar player had left or fired or whatever. So I met those guys at this little garage studio and we met, we did some demos for what would be their Sahara record and they sounded pretty good. I, I have to admit it. It was fun to play on and they were cool guys. They were really, the recording with them was, although it was demos, it was really laid back and funny whereas Hurricane was kind of like pressure and stress and um they eventually went in the studio and they couldn't find a guitar player so they asked me to do the, the record you know yeah and, and as a session and the whole time they were saying you know you you should quit hurricane and come with us i, I explained to them look i i can't i, I like you guys and the, the music is cool and stuff but i've i'm a songwriter on the hurricane stuff and and they're my friends and we've got a record that's getting ready to come out and they've it's plans are in place. We've got a tour. 
I can't, I'm not going to just leave. I wouldn't do that, you know. But I did do the records for them, and they paid me well. And then they got a guitar player to come in and play on a couple of tracks. Mike Guy was his name, Michael Guy. Yeah. And he, he, he was really good. He played on two songs, played on two of the solos. And kind of they just, I didn't, they didn't really give me like proper credit. They kind of mixed me in there with special thanks with a lot of guitar players that had contributed to the record somehow. But then when they got into, they were really, I remember when we were recording, they were really adamant about, they wanted the song Can't Find My Way Home, the old cover, they wanted it to be just like the demo. And even if I played it better than the demo, they didn't think so. They, they wanted, they were like, demo, let's just the demo. And I thought, well, we can, we can get a better sound, how the rest of the record sounds, and it'll sound, and I can play it better. You know, listen to this, it's sloppy. Yeah. And they didn't, they didn't, they didn't care, and, and they were right. The demo did have a good vibe, and that's what they ended up using. But I'm nearly out, and I just ain't got the time, no. Lord, I'm wasted, and I can't find my way Michael in the band, Michael Guy, they got in rehearsals and realized that this is a different guy, it's going to sound different. And that they were really like, no, 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 we need, we need Doug. So by that time, the Hurricane Tour was already over, and I had been doing other sessions anyways, and I decided to join him on tour. So yeah, it was weird. It was, it was never like, I was never really in House of Lords, but I, I had a, a little part of the background during that that one record yeah so well, how did you get on with Andy Johns did you have a good relationship with him in the studio got on great we we got on great man it was it was it was a blast working with Andy and Andy would he he liked me and I really liked him and um he would he enjoyed doing guitars with me as much as I did with him and we would 
we'd sit there for as long as was needed to get the sound just so we were both really happy with it. And he would, I remember one time he told me, he goes, he, he came straight into my, you know, to my face and he goes, Doug, I will never leave you. If you're in the middle of the guitar part, I'll never leave you. Well, I'm here, I'm here to get it right. And I don't care if it takes us all night long. We'll get the record coming and pay for it or whatever. And I thought that was the coolest thing anybody ever said to me at that point because most of the time people were like we gotta hurry up man studio record record label blah 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 and he's like ah fuck him man <laughs> we gotta get we gotta get this right this is our chance you know yeah and I thought that was I thought that was cool yeah so we we, we got on great and he and he um he liked I was he liked I had a you know background with different bands and some of the other guitar players and um we both had admiration for Jimmy Page, and he worked with him. So I loved that part of it. And he worked with a lot of guys. That I was he he ran the tape machine on some Hendrix records. He was the tape op. He worked with the Rolling Stones, you know, when as an engineer when he was a kid. And he, and he had so many awesome stories about about Zeppelin and and the Stones and Hendrix, and you know, it was really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we we were friends. We were fast friends then, and then we kept being friends for several projects after that. And he would he'd always call me up. He'd go, Dougie, you know that amp we used on the record? Can I can I can I rent that from you? I got this session coming up. I really I, that amp's got a thing, man. I was like, really? You think so? <laughs> like, yeah, man. It's got this thing. So he, he periodically would I loaned it to him a few times, and then sometimes he would call me and go, Doug. I need that amp. I'm like, I need that amp. He goes, I'll pay you 200 bucks a week for it. I'm like, okay, I'll bring it over. (laughs) (laughs) One of those, one of those sessions was, uh, he was doing Joe Satriani and, and I brought the, I I brought two amps down and, and Joe rented those amps for like six weeks. He had had his, his gear stolen. Oh, just, he had, yeah, he was up in San Francisco and, Somebody just broke into the equipment truck and drove it away. And he, I think he was just headed down to LA to record this record with oh, Andy. That must be, uh, the extremist, the one with, uh, Summer that, Song on it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And that, that was a cool record because Andy got him this, the, he got him the drum sound that was, that was, um, that was awesome. You know, it was like that, that kind of, Bonzo kick drum, big open kick drum, nice pop snare. Not, I don't want to say pop snare. It's like the snare with it kind of has a honk to it, a pop to it. And that was a new thing for Satriani. I think he really liked it. Yeah. So I move on to Bad Moon Rising. Um, was there was there a talk at the time of trying to get that a new Line album out because it's got you and Cal on it? Well, well those were the songs that that we we're going to use for our second lion record. And we didn't want to use those songs for that because we were just trying to prove that we could get off the deal. And we were on a small label called grand slam. So we, for our second record, so we used some, some thrown together songs and some B material, but still nobody would touch us. So I moved on to doing hurricane and Cal went and got a solo deal in Japan with those songs. And the record company said, we would like you to play on Cal's solo record. So that's one of the sessions that I did in, in, in between um, 
around the time of House of Lords and after the hurricane tour was I had done the session with Cal and the record company heard it and they were like, This needs to be a band. So that's how it started. It was already in the can. I was always doing records and sessions and stuff with whatever just to, you know, make extra money and so Cal hired me at the same rate the House of Lords hired me. But this was an opportunity to join a band with songs I had written. And so I, I kind of thought this is what I want to do. And it was working with a producer that, um, with Mac, who yeah. also worked with Zeppelin and, and Michael Schenker and Rainbow and different people and, and Queen. And, um, so I was like, this, this is it. I can get back to my roots with Cal. And it's my band with him. Or it's his band with me and our band. And so we, we made our record and it, and it went really good in Japan and it did a little bit in Europe, but we, we, the Japanese wanted another record. So we, we went ahead and started the second record. We did the second record, same thing. It, it came out in Europe, couldn't get a deal in the States, but it was, it was really good stuff. I really liked it. All right, Metalheads, that is going to do it for part one of our Doug Aldrich retrospective. Next week, we'll continue on as Doug talks more about Bad Moon Rising as uh, we find the final countdown week before the release of the brand new Revolution Saints album, Light in the Dark, which, of course, is due to drop on October 13th. So, as I said, more good stuff next week as Doug picks up the rest of the Bad Moon Rising story and then onward into all of his current day stuff with White Snake and Dead Daisies and all that good stuff. But for this week, that is a wrap for Focus on Metal. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourself a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.